Section nine of Jane Austen's Juvenilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Jane Austen's Juvenilia. Section nine. A Collection of Letters. Part two. Letter the third. From a young lady in distressed circumstances to her friend. A few days ago I was at a private ball given by Mr. Ashburnham. As my mother never goes out, she entrusted me to the care of Lady Greville, who did me the honour of calling for me in her way, and of allowing me to sit forwards, which is a favour about which I am very indifferent, especially as I know it is considered as conferring a great obligation on me. "'So, Miss Maria,' said her ladyship, as she saw me advancing to the door of the carriage, "'you seem very smart to-night. My poor girls will appear quite to disadvantage by you. I only hope your mother may not have distressed herself to set you off. Have you got a new gown on?' "'Yes, ma'am,' replied I, with as much indifference as I could assume. "'Aye, and a fine one, too, I think,' feeling it, as by her permission I seated myself by her. "'I dare say it is all very smart, but I must own, for you know I always speak my mind, that I think it was quite a needless piece of expense. Why could not you have worn your old striped one? But it is not my way to find fault with people because they are poor, for I always think that they are more to be despised and pitied than blamed for it, especially if they cannot help it. But at the same time I must say that in my opinion your old striped gown would have been quite fine enough for its wearer. For to tell you the truth, I always speak my mind. I am very much afraid that one half of the people in the room will not know whether you have a gown on or not. But I suppose you intend to make your fortune to-night. Well, the sooner the better, and I wish you success." "'Indeed, ma'am, I have no such intention." "'Who ever heard a young lady own that she was a fortune-hunter?' Miss Greville laughed, but I am sure Ellen felt for me. "'Was your mother gone to bed before you left her?' said her ladyship. "'Dear ma'am,' said Ellen, "'it is but nine o'clock.' "'True, Ellen, but candles cost money, and Mrs. Williams is too wise to be extravagant.' "'She was just sitting down to supper, ma'am.' "'And what had she got for supper?' "'I did not observe.' "'Bread and cheese, I suppose.' "'I should never wish for a better supper,' said Ellen. "'You have never any reason.' replied her mother, as a better is always provided for you." Miss Greville laughed excessively, as she constantly does at her mother's wit. "'Such is the humiliating situation which I am forced to appear while riding in her ladyship's coach. I dare not be impertinent, as my mother is always admonishing me to be humble and patient if I wish to make my way in the world. She insists on my accepting every invitation of Lady Greville, or you may be certain that I would never either enter into her house or her coach with the disagreeable certainty I always have of being abused for my poverty while I am in them. When we arrived at Ashburnham it was nearly ten o'clock, which was an hour and a half later than we were desired to be there. But Lady Greville is too fashionable, or fancies herself to be so, to be punctual. The dancing, however, was not begun, as they waited for Miss Greville. I had not been long in the room, before I was engaged to dance by Mr. Bernard. 
but just as we were going to stand up, he recollected that his servant had got his white gloves, and immediately ran out to fetch them. In the meantime, the dancing began, and Lady Greville, in passing to another room, went exactly before me. She saw me, and instantly stopping, said to me, though there were several people close to us, "'Hey day, Miss Maria! What, cannot you get a partner? Poor young lady! I am afraid your new gown was put on for nothing. But do not despair. Perhaps you may get a hop before the evening is over.' So saying, she passed on without hearing my repeated assurance of being engaged, and leaving me very much provoked at being so exposed before every one. Mr. Bernard, however, soon returned, and by coming to me the moment he entered the room, and leading me to the dancers, my character, I hope, was cleared from the imputation Lady Greville had thrown on it, in the eyes of all the old ladies who had heard her speech. I soon forgot all my vexations in the pleasure of dancing, and of having the most agreeable partner in the room. As he is, moreover, heir to a very large estate, I could see that Lady Greville did not look very well pleased when she found who had been his choice. She was determined to mortify me, and accordingly, when we were sitting down between the dances, she came to me with more than her usual insulting importance, attended by Miss Mason, and said, loud enough to be heard by half the people in the room, "'Pray, Miss Maria, in what way of business was your grandfather? For Miss Mason and I cannot agree whether he was a grocer or a bookbinder.' I saw that she wanted to mortify me, and was resolved, if I possibly could, to prevent her seeing that her scheme succeeded. "'Neither, madam. He was a wine-merchant.' "'Aye, I knew he was in some such low way. He broke, did he not?' "'I believe not, ma'am.' Did not he abscond? I never heard that he did. At least he died insolvent. I was never told so before. Why, was not your father as poor as a rat? I fancy not. Was not he in the King's Bench once? I never saw him there. She gave me such a look, and turned away in a great passion, while well, I was half delighted with myself for my impertinence, and half afraid of being thought too saucy. As Lady Greville was extremely angry with me, she took no further notice of me all the evening, and, indeed, had I been in favour I should have been equally neglected, as she was got into a party of great folks, and she never speaks to me when she can to any one else. Miss Greville was with her mother's party at supper, but Ellen preferred staying with the Bernards and me. We had a very pleasant dance and as Lady G. slept all the way home, I had a very comfortable ride. The next day, while we were at dinner, Lady Greville's coach stopped at the door, for that is the time of day she generally contrives it should. She sent in a message by the servant to say that, "'She should not get out, but that Miss Maria must come to the coach-door, as she wanted to speak to her, and that she must make haste and come immediately.' "'What an impertinent message, mamma," said I. "'Go, Maria!' replied she. Accordingly I went, and was obliged to stand there, at her ladyship's pleasure, though the wind was extremely high and very cold. "'Why, I think, Miss Maria, you are not so smart as you were last night. But I did not come to examine your dress, but to tell you that you may dine with us the day after to-morrow. Not to-morrow, remember, do not come to-morrow, for we expect Lord and Lady Clermont, and Sir Thomas Stanley's family. There will be no occasion for your being very fine, for I shan't send the carriage. If it rains, you may take an umbrella." 
I could hardly help laughing at hearing her give me leave to keep myself dry. And pray remember to be in time, for I shan't wait. I hate my victuals overdone. But you need not come before the time. How does your mother do? She is at dinner, is not she? Yes, ma'am. We were in the middle of dinner when your ladyship came. I am afraid you find it very cold, Maria," said Ellen. Yes, it is a horrible east wind," said her mother. I assure you I can hardly bear the windows down. But you are used to be blown about by the wind, Miss Maria, and that is what has made your complexion so ruddy and coarse. You young ladies who cannot often ride in a carriage never mind what weather you trudge in, or how the wind shows your legs. I would not have my girls stand out of doors as you do in such a day as this. But some sort of people have no feelings either of cold or delicacy. Well, remember that we shall expect you on Thursday at five o'clock. You must tell your maid to come for you at night. There will be no moon, and you will have a horrid walk home. My compts to your mother. I am afraid your dinner will be cold. Drive on!" And away she went, leaving me in a great passion with her, as she always does. Maria Williams Letter the Fourth from a young lady rather impertinent to her friend. We dined yesterday with Mr. Evelyn, where we were introduced to a very agreeable-looking girl, his cousin. I was extremely pleased with her appearance, for added to the charms of an engaging face, her manner and voice had something peculiarly interesting in them, so much so that they inspired me with a great curiosity to know the history of her life, who were her parents, where she came from, and what had befallen her for it was then only known that she was a relation of Mr. Evelyn, and that her name was Grenville. In the evening a favourable opportunity offered to me of attempting at least to know what I wished to know, for every one played at cards but Mrs. Evelyn, my mother, Dr. Drayton, Miss Grenville, and myself, and as the two former engaged in a whispering conversation, and the doctor fell asleep, we were of necessity obliged to entertain each other. This was what I wished, and being determined not to remain in ignorance for want of asking, I began the conversation in the following manner. Have you been long in Essex, ma'am? I arrived on Tuesday. You came from Derbyshire? No, ma'am. Appearing surprised at my question. From Suffolk? You will think this a good dash of mine, my dear Mary, but you know that I am not wanting for impudence when I have my end in view. Are you pleased with the country, Miss Grenville? Do you find it equal to the one you have left? Much superior, ma'am, in point of beauty. She sighed. I longed to know for why. But the face of any country, however beautiful, said I, can be but a poor consolation for the loss of one's dearest friends. She shook her head, as if she felt the truth of what I said. My curiosity was much raised, that I was resolved at any rate to satisfy it. You regret having left Suffolk then, Miss Grenville? Indeed I do. You were born there, I suppose? Yes, ma'am, I was, and passed many happy years there. That is a great comfort, said I. I hope, ma'am, that you never spent any unhappy ones there. Perfect felicity is not the property of mortals, and no one has a right to expect uninterrupted happiness. Some misfortunes I have certainly met with. What misfortunes, dear ma'am, replied I, burning with impatience to know everything. None, ma'am, I hope, that have been the effect of any wilful fault in me. I dare say not, ma'am, and have no doubt but that any sufferings you may have experienced could only arise from the cruelties of relations, or the errors of friends." She sighed. "'You seemed unhappy, my dear Miss Grenville. Is it in my power to soften your misfortunes?' 
"'Your power, ma'am,' replied she, extremely surprised. "'It is in no one's power to make me happy.' She pronounced these words in so mournful and solemn an accent that for some time I had not courage to reply. I was actually silenced. I recovered myself, however, in a few moments, and looking at her with all the affection I could, "'My dear Miss Grenville,' said I, "'you appear extremely young, and may probably stand in need of some one's advice whose regard for you, joined to superior age, perhaps superior judgment, might authorise her to give it. I am that person, and I now challenge you to accept the offer I make you of my confidence and friendship, in return to which I shall only ask for yours.' "'You are extremely obliging, ma'am, and I am highly flattered by your attention to me. But I am in no difficulty, no doubt, no uncertainty of situation in which any advice can be wanted. Whenever I am, however," continued she, brightening into a complacent smile, "'I shall know where to apply.' I bowed, but felt a good deal mortified by such a repulse. Still, however, I had not given up my point. I found that by the appearance of sentiment and friendship nothing was to be gained, and determined therefore to renew my attacks by questions and suppositions. Do you intend staying long in this part of England, Miss Grenville?" "'Yes, ma'am. Some time, I believe." "'But how will Mr. and Mrs. Grenville bear your absence?' "'They are neither of them alive, ma'am.' Oh, this was an answer I did not expect. I was quite silenced, and never felt so awkward in my life." End of section 9